Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word, and we pray this afternoon, please, that your Holy Spirit would uh, be at work in our hearts to give us faith to uh, believe the things that you teach us, and to give us the, the grace to obey. Father, we want to pray that you would enlarge our vision of the world today as we see more of who you are and what you're like and what you call us to do and to be as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2,000 years after Jesus looked out across the crowd and he saw people like sheep lost without a shepherd, we can look around the world today and we can see that, well, the, the harvest is still plentiful. And the workers, they're still few. We're told that in the Republic of Ireland, there are 50 towns with no evangelical church. In Italy, we're told that among the 33,500 centers of population, hamlets, small villages, towns, cities, 32,000 of them have no evangelical witness. You go to Indonesia, the country we served in as a family, uh, you'll find 37 people groups, not just unreached people groups, But 37 people groups where no one has yet gone with an effort to plant a church and for the gospel to be shared. The largest of those groups has a population the size of Liverpool. I was reading just a few days ago about northern Yemen in the Middle East, a population of 8 million people. There are perhaps 20 or 30 believers. Not 20 or 30,000 believers, 20 or 30 believers in a place with a population the same size as Scotland and Wales combined. You've got more than that probably in your small group. So this afternoon we're going to try and think from God's word about what is involved in reaching into those kinds of places with the gospel. But before we we go there, I think it's, it's worth noting, isn't it, from our passage, there are other valid ministries to be involved in in the Christian life. There's a slight danger on a day day like today. You bring in the missionary speaker and he gives it a good go about everyone going to the unreached in a place far, far from home. One or two get excited. The rest of you feel guilty. And that's not ideal, is it? And it's not what God's Word teaches. Far from it. Take a look with me at chapter 15 and verse 20. Paul writes, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. You can preach the gospel in two kinds of places, Paul says. You can preach the gospel where Christ has never been made known. And you can preach the gospel where Christ has already been made known and where the church is already established. And they're both good and they're both valid things to do. Now, of course, in this passage here in Romans 15, Paul clearly is emphasizing the first, isn't he? He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. He doesn't want to focus on where the church is already established. But some people will need to. So plain as you read the rest of the New Testament. Just flick over a few pages to, uh, to 1 Corinthians and to chapter 3. Page 1145. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read verses uh, 5 and 6. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Do you see what's happening here? Paul, Paul is preaching where the gospel is not yet known. Apollos is preaching off the back of those kinds of ministries in a place where the gospel is now known. 
He goes on in verse 10, just flick down a little bit further. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, Paul's saying when it comes to gospel ministry, if the church is to grow, to grow in a new place or an, an established place, what's of primary importance are the foundations you build the church upon? Jesus Christ. You try building them on anything else, you, you're just wasting your time. So as Paul speaks then in our passage today in Romans 15 about what we might call pioneer mission or, or frontline mission, taking the gospel where it's never been preached before, Planting churches where churches have never been planted before. He's not saying that kind of ministry is compulsory for everyone. But he is saying it's necessary for some. Do you see that? It's not compulsory for everyone, but it is necessary for some. And that means this afternoon as we come to Romans 15 together, there'll be some specific implications for some of us and some more general implications for all of us. So let's come back to our question then. What is involved in preaching the gospel where Christ is not yet known? We're going to draw two things, I think, out of our passage. The first is this gospel ambition. Gospel ambition. If the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, we need to see some gospel ambition. Ambition is everywhere, isn't it? Everywhere, particularly in a place like London, you can't avoid the concept of ambition. Sometimes our ambition is a bit misplaced, isn't it? We have that lovely phrase in the English language, that's a bit ambitious, which kind of means that's never going to happen in a million years. It's worth learning that one if you're visiting the UK. Someone says to you, that's very ambitious. They might be being slightly sarcastic to you. Some ambition is misplaced, isn't it? But there's also a kind of more raw or determined ambition out there, isn't there? It's caricatured in programs like The Apprentice. Maybe you're in the middle of the latest series. This is what one of the contestants said as she fought with many others to try and get her quarter of a million pound investment from Lord Sugar. She said, I regret not becoming a scientist so I could clone myself and become more successful in half the time. I mean, it's all a bit crass really, isn't it? And they're obviously playing to the cameras somewhat. But if we're honest, that underlying sentiment, it's there in most of our hearts, isn't it? It's there in most of our hearts. The whole system around us, it, it drives us in that kind of direction, doesn't it? Starts from the earliest of ages. Happens all over the world in different ways. In my children's uh, little girl's school in Indonesia, the slogan that the school adopted was dream, believe, achieve. It's all about ambition. And of course, of course, there's something really commendable, isn't there? about some kinds of ambition. There's something uh, good, isn't there, about trying to better ourselves, using the gifts God's given to us to to serve other people, to make a difference. Yet if we're honest, the reality is often those ambitions develop into what the Bible might call a, a selfish ambition. The ambitions are all about us. The dreams, the hopes, the goals, they're, they're self-serving. They're self-seeking. The Bible, as you know, puts selfish ambition into, into the same category as jealousy and hatred, it's arrogance and slander. 
Selfish ambition, the Bible says, is to be avoided at all costs. Yet when Paul speaks about ambition here in Romans 15 verse 20, he's speaking about something very, very different indeed. Very different. Notice he's not lacking in drive or, or motivation. He's not lacking in focus or, or energy. He's got the ambition. But it's not about him. Take a look again at, at chapter 15 and verse 20. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. If you like, this is what you could call gospel ambition. It's about someone else. It's about something else. It's an ambition to see the gospel preached where it's never been preached before. To see, to see the church planted where it's never been planted before. You know, sometimes we talk about the places where the gospel has yet to go and we use the phrase unreached peoples. We mentioned it a moment ago. Unreached regions, unreached people groups. In Indonesia, the phrase that's used is not unreached, but a phrase, Sukutrabaikan, which literally means a people ignored. Paul's great ambition is that he would not ignore people who are still waiting to hear the good news about Jesus. That he preached the gospel where Christ has not yet been made known. You know, when I first saw a gospel ambition like this, I didn't even notice it. Didn't even notice it. I was about 10 years old and we were camping in France as a family. One day we went to visit some missionaries in a small town. Felt like in the middle of nowhere, but mum and dad prayed for them and we wanted to go and visit them. Off we went. It was a market day. You can picture the scene. Beautiful French market, the boulangerie, patisserie. It's all there, the wines and the cheeses, the fruit and the veg. And then the missionaries turned up in their little van. They did it every week. And they opened up the side of their van to reveal this kind of mini Christian bookshop. Then, then, they then proceeded to spend the next few hours trying to speak to passers-by about the gospel. Didn't seem to be screaming ambition to me. As a 10-year-old lad, I distinctly remember the, the, the time being there. I don't think I was converted as a Christian at the time. I remember thinking to myself, I mean, can you really imagine doing that as your job when you grow up? Just hate it. I was 10 years old. I almost felt a bit of a pity for these missionaries. What are they doing? Spending a life doing this. What was it that drove these missionaries to do something that looked outwardly so pathetic, if we're really frank? And what lay behind Paul's ambition here in Romans 15 to take the gospel where it had never been named? Well, it wasn't so he could plant his flag before anyone else, was it? It wasn't some kind of church denomination war thing going on to, to get the territory before anybody else. To use the marketing speak, he wasn't looking for, for first mover advantage. He wasn't trying to corner the market. No, something else drove him. There was something else that spurred him on to give himself to the unreached. The same something that no doubt helped these missionaries in France get out of bed every morning. Paul tells us what that motivation was in verse 21. Here's the motivation behind the ambition. Here's the dream, if you like. Here's the, the goal. Here's the great desire. Verse 21, rather. That is, rather than building on someone else's foundation, rather than uh, preaching the gospel where it's already been made known, rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will 
understand. Isn't that an incredible motivation for gospel ministry? You know, the reality is selfish ambition. It's always going to look more attractive and shiny than gospel ambition. When you pick up the free paper in the evening in London, in the back of the evening standard, what's it telling you? You can have this latest apartment and this latest hotspot in London. You can get this latest model of car, this latest whatever else it is. It always looks more aspirational, doesn't it? Than doing this kind of work. Than taking the van to the market in France. Until, until we see the motivation for this gospel ambition. Until we grasp the joy of seeing people saved. Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. And we say, what will they see? What will they understand? Well, what has Paul just been writing about in this beautiful letter to the, to the church in Rome? They'll see that a righteousness from God has been revealed, not to be earned. They'll see that whilst they were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for them. They'll see that while, while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. They will see there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, isn't this an ambition that's worth living for? Giving your life to? That dead people might come to life. That lost people might be found. That, that sinners might be set free. That those who have never seen and never understood might call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That is the kind of ambition we want in our our lives, isn't it? It's an ambition I read about recently in an application form for someone being sent from their church through, through UFM into mission service in Eurasia. The guy wrote this on his form. The gospel is simply brilliant news. It must be shared. I'm willing to go. Plenty are willing to stay, and so I must go. How can I not offer myself for overseas missionary service? How can I not go? Here's another guy who'd weighed things up, and he could see he had gospel ambition. Notice he mentioned in in his form there, overseas missionary service. Now, of course, this kind of ambition that Paul speaks about here, it can be realized close to home. It must be realized close to home. We know, don't we, the, the huge needs for the gospel here in the UK. So at a conference last week, they were saying that probably about 3% of the population of the UK are evangelical Christians. That means 97% aren't. The need is desperate close to home. The need is great in London. There are plenty of parts of London where the gospel has not yet been made known. There are people groups in London where the gospel has yet to go in a concerted way, I'm sure. Yet we've got to see as we read this passage in its context that gospel ambition is always a global ambition. This gospel ambition that Paul speaks of here, it it rejects the kind of little Britain approach to life that always has the blinkers on and only sees what's right in front of us. Notice the quote here in chapter 15 and verse 21 is taken from Isaiah Chapter 52, Isaiah 52. This is the servant song that speaks of the suffering and the the, the glory of God's servants, the suffering king. Who is in mind as these words are spoken about people hearing of the Lord Jesus? Who is in mind as these words are spoken? Well, let me read the original quote in its context. No need to turn there. Let me read Isaiah 52 verses 13 to 15. 
See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. See, the context of these amazing words that are quoted in Romans 15, the nations, the nations are in mind. The prophecy of Isaiah, the letter to the Romans, they've always got the nations in mind. Who is Paul? He's the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. He's writing in part this this letter to the Romans because he wants them to adopt him as their mission partner. Just just look at chapter 15, verses 23 and 24. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Do we see gospel ambition is always a global ambition? The world is always in view. The blinkers are always off. So friends, I wonder who among you might be able to make it your ambition to take the gospel to the Republic of Ireland? It's one of those towns with no evangelical church in the least reached English-speaking nation in the world, which is 60 minutes on a plane from London City Airport. I wonder, could you make it your ambition to plant churches in the unreached villages and towns of Italy, where there's still no gospel witness, and they're still waiting for a reformation 500 years on? Or could you make it your ambition as a, as a church, your gospel ambition to adopt a people or a place where Christ is still not yet known and pray that God would raise up workers for that particular harvest field, maybe even from within the church family here at Globe Church. If the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, then we need to see some gospel ambition. Secondly, If the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, we need to take some costly initiative. We need to take some costly initiative. William Carey, sometimes known as the father of modern missions, he famously wrote these words, Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Those words, I guess, certainly fit with the theme we've had so far of gospel ambition. But I guess like many, many stirring words and phrases, they're ultimately meaningless, aren't they? They're meaningless unless they're grounded in reality, unless they lead to something. Of course, William Carey knew that, and he also wrote the following. He wrote, We must not be contented, however, with praying, without exerting ourselves in the use of means for the obtaining of those things we pray for. Were the children of light... But as wise in their generation as the children of this world, they would stretch every nerve to gain so glorious a prize, nor ever imagine it was to be obtained in any other way. Can we see what he's saying here? I think he's saying something a bit like this. When it comes to reaching the lost, when it comes to preaching Christ where he isn't known, he's saying don't just have the ambition. Don't just pray about the ambition, although you must pray, verse 30, struggling in prayer. 
Don't just have the ambition. Don't just pray about the ambition, but do something with the ambition. Take some initiative. Stretch every sinew in your body to see that ambition realized. And it's what what Paul did, isn't it? Take a look at verse 22 in chapter 15. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. This, i.e. this ambition to reach the unreached. It caused Paul to make some decisions, to make some plans. He'd have loved to have gone to Rome earlier. You can read about that in chapter 1, verse 11. He says he longs to see them. Chapter 1, verse 13, he'd planned many times to go to them, but he'd been prevented from doing so until now. What's prevented him? Well, in part, it's this gospel ambition, isn't it? His desire to see the gospel preached where Christ is not yet known. He could have gone to Rome earlier. He could have preached the gospel in a place where the church was already established. It would have been good ministry. It would have been a fine thing to do. He says back in chapter 1, verse 13, he would love to have seen a harvest among them. Yet, his gospel ambition hindered him going to them. His gospel ambition drove him elsewhere. You can see where, halfway through chapter 15 and verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul hadn't yet been to Rome because he'd been half, halfway around the Mediterranean. From Israel to modern-day Albania. So the gospel could be preached where Christ isn't known. Now he's on the move again, isn't he? As he writes this letter, take a look again at verse 23. He will go to Rome, he says, but only as a stopover. His ambition, once again, is taking him to the regions beyond. To a place where the church is yet to be established. It's taking him to Spain. And this initiative, we've got to see here, it's a costly initiative. This journey he's planned from Corinth, where it seems he's writing, to to Jerusalem, then on to Rome, finally to Spain. We're told it's a sea journey of 3,000 miles further if he went by land. John Stott, in his commentary on this book, he says this about the planned journey. When one reflects on the uncertainties and hazards of ancient travel, the almost nonchalant way in which Paul announces his intention to undertake these three voyages is quite extraordinary. So for Paul to fulfill his gospel ambition, he needed to take some costly initiative. There was a price to pay. There was a cost to be counted. There were decisions to be made. And it's relatively easy on a day like today to be fired up for mission, isn't it? In, in, as a concept at least. To be inspired by the thought of the, the unreached being reached, of sinners being saved, of the church being established much harder, of course, to see that ambition realized, isn't it? Friends, if we're going to see the gospel preached where Christ is not known today, then we need to take some costly initiative. We need to make some plans under God. We need to take some decisions prayerfully. We need to do some things at the expense of other good things. We need to do some things now and other things, therefore, perhaps never. And all of that comes at a cost. We get a sense of that cost not only from Paul's costly plans, but again from the context of that quote from Isaiah 52. 
How can the nations be sprinkled? How can those who have never been told see? How can those who have never heard understand answer when you read the context in Isaiah through the suffering of God's servants, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus? Let me read on these famous words that come just after the quote in Romans 15, taken from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, that is the Savior that we follow. This is the Jesus that we promise to follow. Taking up our cross every day. A suffering servant. Friends, if we're going to realize our gospel ambitions, if we're going to make it our priority to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, well, there are some big decisions before us, aren't there? I wonder what what will this costly initiative look like? What might it look like for you as a church, Globe Church, in the years to come? Well, I guess it will look like the relentless year-on-year equipping of believers, loving them sharing your lives with them, building relationships with them in order to joyfully send them and in one sense to say goodbye. In a church like this, you've got a unique, a unique opportunity to do that. And I know that your church leaders know that. And so many of you are embracing that vision for yourselves as a church to equip people to send them. For those of you who remain, that is a difficult, difficult thing to do. It comes at a cost but it's what we're called to. What might it look like for you as a follower of Christ, you individually or with your family now or in the future, to realize your gospel ambition and to be sent where Christ is not yet known? Or perhaps for some of you, I mean giving up the dream of living here in the UK, having arrived in recent years. Perhaps returning to your home country to serve where the the church is weaker, where there are fewer Christians, where there are smaller salaries, where you'll face perhaps disappointed parents who can't believe you've packed it all in for the sake of Jesus. It might mean being back home, but perhaps not really feeling quite at home anymore. For others of you, I mean going where you've never been. Let me just give one example. We've just had the joy in UFM of partnering with a church to see a family sent to the Middle East. This is what costly initiative looks like for them right now. Career potential in dentistry and engineering given over. The prospect of a growing bank balance surrendered. All their stuff sold off, given away, or packed in a box and stuffed in a loft. Realising their gospel ambition already has meant goodbyes to friends, goodbyes to church, goodbyes for their kids with their grandmas and their grandpas. 
costly initiative for them has meant trusting the Lord for their two small kids, taking them out of an education system that is world-class and a health system that is known and on the whole that works wonderfully, wonderfully well, and into a country recovering from war, teetering on the brink of another one where security is volatile and support structures are weak. And then there'll be the unseen sacrifices, the tears when separation from family and friends feels too much to bear. The frustrations of life in a new language and not being able to be, to be understood for the most basic activities of the day for many, many months. And the daily beneath the surface stress of living cross-culturally and always, always, even 20, 30 years down the line, always being the foreigner. Costly initiative for them means entering into battle not knowing how long they'll last on the fields making good gospel plans, not knowing if they'll ever come to fruition. I mean, did Paul ever make it to Spain? Friends, the call to preach the gospel where Christ is not known is not an easy call to answer. It's not a light ambition to embrace with all your hearts. But friends, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? The couple I've just been describing are serving alongside another family who've been there for a number of years. This is what the wife wrote a few months back. I've been feeling discouraged, doubting, wanting to give up recently. Results are not exactly obvious to see. The summer has been long and hot. It often feels as though we take one step forward and then a fair few back. But then came these words not too long afterwards. One of the women in the group may have crossed over, from, uh, crossed over from death to life. It's been wonderful to see her heart warmed towards Christ. And then we say, praise God, as we're here, of that gospel fruit. The work of preaching the gospel where Christ is not known, it is not compulsory, but it is necessary. It's necessary. And gospel ambition and costly initiative, these are the things we need to see if the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, whether that's close to home or far, far away. Friends, who among you is going to make it your ambition to be sent where few have gone before? And who will commit among you to, to go on leading and serving in this church and others like it, taking the costly initiative to send people and to send them in a manner worthy of the Lord? The harvest is still plentiful. And the workers are still few. Let's pray. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Father, we pray you would give us a, a deep and a deepening desire to see people saved. To see people brought from death to life. To see people who are outside of your kingdom, brought into your kingdom. Father, we recognize this can only happen as you work in their hearts, as the, the word is sown and the Holy Spirit plants that word deeply into their hearts and gives to them the gift of faith. Lord, we pray you would help us please to be people of, of gospel ambition, who are ready to take costly initiative so that many more might have the opportunity to hear. We think today particularly about these places where Christ is not yet known. So many are not very far away, even here in this city, even in the countries that we, we can get to so, so quickly across the, the Channel or the Irish Sea. And the places further afield, Lord, we pray, please, that you'd raise up workers.
from the church here in the UK. We pray you'd raise up workers from our brothers and sisters around the world and that you'd help us all to take seriously uh, this great call that you lay on our lives. We pray it might be for your glory and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.